You know, I've long thought that the main reason I do the Let's Go Eat show is so I can just talk to people I want to talk to. Really. I uh, met Thurl Bailey, mm, I don't know, for the first time and really talked to him for the first time maybe a year ago. And it was at some event that uh, he was a charity ambassador for and I was involved in a little bit. And we had a chance to talk for maybe five or ten minutes. And uh, and I was thought and I thought, gee, what an interesting guy! I had no idea. I mean, I've, I knew who Thurl Bailey was, and I know he did, you know, Christmas music and was a good basketball player uh, in his day. And I, but then I talked to him, and I thought, geez, what an interesting story! I really want to sit down with him. So I did. Uh, Thurl Bailey, former Utah Jazz star, uh, former. Uh, NCAA championship winner at North Carolina, don't get it wrong, State, North Carolina, State. And and if you, you say North Carolina and his eyes kind of go up, and if you don't add the state, you're in trouble <laughs> because it's not North Carolina. Those are the Tar Heels. And as uh, uh, Thurl Bailey said, what's a Tar Heel? Do you know? I don't know. Um, we sat at uh, the club at 50 West. We had a nice conversation. And I hope you enjoy it. Thurl Bailey on the Let's Go Eat. However you are. Like, he's super deaf. Oh, his uh, ears are fine the way they are? Yeah. Well, okay. He put the super on you. He didn't just say you were deaf. Yeah, so I'm super, super deaf. You know, I'm not super a, deaf. I mean, it's not a disability, I guess. <laughs> that would be a good band name. Super, super deaf. deaf. No, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm just a little deaf. It's from years of wearing these. Uh, and uh, so it's Let's Go Eat Show and uh, Thurl Bailey, who, you, now, Thurl, nice to see you here. You weren't supposed to be here for, like, another half an hour, and you're, you're way early. What, why is that? I'm trying to turn over a new leaf. Are you, no, are you normally late for stuff? No, not, well, my wife would say yes mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't agree with that, but, uh, you know, I, first of all, I had something to fall through, and I figured I'd come down here and, and uh, grab some breakfast. Yeah, wait for you to come down. So I'm glad I was here early. Well, I'm glad you yeah. were too. And and uh, you had breakfast here at Fifty West. Was it okay? Awesome. They, okay. Awesome. Good. I had the croissant with sausage and egg and cheese on it. Yes, sir. Listen to the way come he says now. that. You you I know loved it, baby. Listen to that. What <laughs> have you always been blessed with that voice? Yeah, I think since I was eight. You know, I had no. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, my, my dad has uh, kind of that deep baritone voice. I think it's genetics kicking in. My sons have it. Yeah. Um, luckily, my daughters don't. But, well, well uh, that's yeah. Good. <laughs> I mean, just, uh, uh, I, you know, we're, of course, talk about basketball a lot here, but you're, you do a lot of singing and you do a lot of speaking. And do you do, because you should do, a lot of commercials? You know, I, I haven't gotten into that yet. Maybe you can help me with that. I know, you know, there's uh, people say voiceover work is out there, and um, and I've never really delved into that. Uh, and so I listen to the guy on TV talk about, you know, we have the meats. I'm yeah. like, oh, that could be Oh, me. yeah, that's uh, Ving Rhames, I think. Yeah, it yeah. is. We yeah. have the meats. Yeah. <laughs> Arby's. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It was James Earl Jones. <laughs> no, but, I mean, you, you, you could do certainly... That kind of stuff. You yeah, really- and you know, I went to school. My, uh, I studied uh, TV radio communications in school at North Carolina. At North Carolina State. You can't get those confused now. Okay, I'm so I don't know, know the it's, distinction. It's the red, white, and the blue, white. So now, are you a so is your North Carolina Wolfpack? Oh, the Wolfpack, not the Tar Heels. No. Okay. What is a Tar Heel anyway? 
I don't know. Okay. I see. You know what a wolf pack is, don't you? Yeah. We yeah. bet your ass I do. <laughs> it's a pack of wolves. That's right. <laughs> uh, Thurl Bailey uh, grew. So we'll start with basketball, move into entertainment and you motivational speaking. But So uh, uh, reading up on you a little bit, and you grew up in a pretty tough uh, area in Washington, D.C., right? I did, yeah. Born in D.C. and uh, lived right on the outskirts of that most of my life in, in Maryland. Um, but just a, you know, just a tough area to grow up in. Gangs? Oh, yeah. Yeah, gangs. And they weren't as prevalent as, as they are now. Mm-hmm. But just a lot of crime, uh, you know, maybe not too much different than it is now. Maybe now is a little bit worse. And mm-hmm. it was bad back then. So, you know, I had parents that were very, very protective of us, and uh, there weren't a lot of kids coming out of that neighborhood doing great things. So I know my parents wanted different for us, and, and education was going to be big, the way to do that. Big family? Uh, five, five kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, five kids. So my parents always stressed education. You know, all my, of you? And, all of us. And, and did, it, did that work out well for uh, It's worked out well for you. Yeah. Did it work out well for your siblings as well? It worked out really well. Um, for some reason, I, I grew a bit taller than you're the, the rest tall, of my siblings. You're absolutely the tallest one in the family then? Yeah, in my generation, as far as I know, mm-hmm. as far as I can go back. But well, it's Really? Yeah. Really? There's yeah. No, there's no, how tall are you? I'm 6'11". And there is no other there, there might giant be, in your family? I just haven't gotten that far. I think the next tallest after me was uh, my, one of my dad's brothers it was 6'7". Mm-hmm. Uh, That's pretty big. Yeah, for, especially for back then. Yeah, uh, a lot of kids like my son. One of my sons is six eight, and he's only nineteen. So, so you, so the gene is really strong the from gene, you on. Yeah. So. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, it was it was a great place to grow up in the sense that I learned a lot. I learned how to survive. I learned uh, how to make decisions that would not. Uh, you know, change the course of my life in a negative way. What? Uh, when? When were you growing up? What? What era? What was going on in the civil rights era? I was born uh, in '61, and uh, my mom and dad were really heavily into. It. As a matter of fact, I they were on, they were at the uh, Martin Luther the King monument, the speech that Martin Luther King gave mm-hmm. at the monument. They were there, and so I remember. A lot of lessons. My parents would come home and talk to us about the news and things that were happening. And you know, we take certain trips to certain places. And like, uh, there was a barbecue place. My parents were both from North Carolina, mm-hmm. although they moved to D.C. Maryland area when I was born. But we used to take trips back down there, and there was a barbecue place. We used to stop by every single time we drove down to North Carolina, and they would always get out and go around the back oh, to get our food. And so, you know, we, we, and we saw all the people go in the front. So that was, you know, it was a lesson. We mm-hmm. asked, you know, why, why do you have to go around the back? So my parents would tell us that, you know, if, if, you're, if you're not white, then you have to go around the back to get your food. And, and so we learned growing up, you know, what the civil rights era was all about. I was right in the middle of busing in elementary school, uh, desegregation. So mm-hmm. uh, just all those things that that you're educated about that you want to make sure your kids know the history of. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's kind of, it's the kind of stuff that you, you talk to me about. And uh, as a, a white person, I can, I can say, Oh geez, you know, I mean, I, I sort of understand, but I really don't do I. 
Well, you know, I mean, you know, you, you always talk about walking a mile in people's shoes. I mean, there are a lot of things I don't understand, um, but I think we all understand, um, especially where we are now, how far we've come, but how far we have to go. I mean, you look at all these things are being so divisive. Uh, you know, race, religion uh, in our country now. Um, you know, back then was a great lesson. It was a great lesson for me to learn about what kind of person I wanted to be, how I'm going to treat you, uh, how if something happens in my life, it's not, it, you know, it, it's it's something that, you know, that I have to figure out how to work out. I'm not blaming it on a country or race or religion. Do you, do you think that um, uh, you say we've come a long way in ra- race relations which I think is undeniable. I mean, we had a, 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 a black president, for God's sake. That's pretty remarkable. Yep. And uh, and yet, there seems to be some strange undercurrent right now. You're nodding your head yeah. of a resurgence. In, and and I and I'm not going to say, oh, it's that Donald Trump. That's an, that has nothing to do with Donald Trump. He may be giving some voice to it. But there's something else going on that's hard to figure out, isn't it? There. Yeah, and and I think I'm not sure if it's that difficult to figure out. I think sometimes it's it's difficult to put a finger on it because you're, you're dealing with, um, for instance, my brother is a cop. He's a police officer. Where? Uh, he's a, a lieutenant here in Salt Lake City. Oh, really? Unified. Yeah, and so. You know, I know what his job is. I know what he's out there doing. I know he's risking his life. Um, and I know he's a good man. And so, you know, when I see all this divisiveness going on, I mean, obviously there are bad people. There are, there are cops that shouldn't, have, shouldn't be cops. And there are people out there that just need to be off the street. So with all the controversy now with Black Lives Matter, um, and you know, and, and cops shooting, you know, black kids or, yeah. and, and so I, you know, I there's a solution for all that, you know, get the bad cops off the force, and if you're out on the street and you're in a situation where, you know, you're doing something unlawful, you put yourself in that situation, and so you know there are there are a lot of things going on right now where. You know the Colin, the the Kaepernick thing. You know, there's so much going on right mm-hmm. now that's being so divisive. We we have to find a way to be able to. I mean, the nice thing is we have the freedom to voice our opinions, but the bad thing is is we're dividing ourselves a little bit further. It is. Why does this become so d- divisive? Divisive. Colin Kaepernick, you bring this up. He. I mean, I never, I don't, I never like that guy because I just don't care for his attitude about what I have seen him do in the past about sports. And yeah, I just think, you know, come on, he's a kind of a crybaby and a this and a that. And but when it comes to, he says, well, I'm not going to uh, put my hand over my heart or I'm going to stand at attention for the for the national anthem because it's a racist country. And I think. Why is anybody paying much attention to him for that? Why not just say, okay, you're a second-string quarterback, and fine. If that's what you want to do, fine. Well, because, 
it's hard not to. Well, you, people are using it as a, they use it for their own agendas. Well, they do, but uh, on the other hand, too, listen, there, there is a, there are two, two sides of this. You know, we, we just mentioned one, the fact that where we live, it's, it's probably a good thing that Colin Kaepernick can do that and not be arrested, mm-hmm. not be prosecuted, not be killed um, just for what he believes in. I mean, that's the kind of country I want to live in. On the other hand, um, when you are so, when you have blinders on in, in, a, in a sense and not understand that there are people out there putting their life on the line for you to ha- be able to have those freedoms in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, black lives do matter. Every life matters. You know, every single life matters in this country. And that's why we are the country we are. The, the fact that I was able to, listen, it takes hard work to be successful. You know that as well as I do. But if you're in a place that, that gives you the ability to do that and play a game that you love to play, you know, you want to protest, say, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to play. You know, or, or you know, you're mm-hmm. playing a great American game. Mm-hmm. And so you obviously, uh, even though you have a gripe, there's a way to do that. There was a way to bring notoriety to it without being divisive from a team aspect, from a sport aspect, from a country aspect, from the aspect that I know that I have relatives that, that fought in wars and battles for my sake. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you're representing just a small, you know, story of... And so, you know, hey, he's got... He's got uh, people that support him. He's got people talking about it, yeah. and that's and that's probably a good thing in a way. that's probably a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's, uh, so let's go to sports. Um, you uh, grew up. Play, you, now, I actually, I thought I was going to say I was going to ask you if you grew up playing basketball, but I think I, yeah, I read that you did, you tried out for like junior <laughs> high school team and yeah. kept getting cut or. <laughs> Yeah, I got cut twice. I got cut twice in junior high. I was uh, 14 years old, 6'5". And then in the 8th grade, I was 6'7". Uh, and I got cut both years. Why? Because I couldn't play. You I was very bad. Good. I wasn't very good at all. I just picked up a basketball. Uh, so why did, you, why did you try out? Why did you want to try out in junior high school? Well, I just... I, I was watching a basketball game with my dad. And didn't know what was going on. Had never played basketball before. And, I, man, I saw the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I saw this guy with a gigantic afro <laughs> and shorts that came right up to his crotch. The cool ones, you know, the ones Back that give you freedom. Style. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I just I saw him make the most incredible move. Didn't know who he was. My dad said his name was Dr. J. And mm. I'm like, I had no idea. I didn't know doctors could even play professional ball, right? So I'm asking those kind of questions. And I was hooked. I was hooked. I, I saw, I, I experienced something that I wanted to dig a little bit deeper in. How could I be like that guy right there? How could I be? Julius Irvin. Yeah, Dr. J, Julius Irvin. So that kind of started the journey. Mm-hmm. You know, and obviously I had to learn how to play the game. So how, did you, how did you learn? Well, I asked my dad. I said, Dad, can you teach me how to play basketball? And he was excited. He was more than happy. He knew he had a lot of work ahead of him. Uh, but he went out in the yard and pulled some weeds up. I helped him, and he cut the top off a garbage can, uh, you know, about three or four inches deep and nailed it to the side of the house. And 
There's your hoop. That was my makeshift hoop. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you just start teaching me. You know, I didn't learn a whole lot. You know, he started talking to me about dribbling a little bit and and showed me how to shoot a hook shot and some other things. But when I went to junior high school, did he ever play ball? He played. Uh, yeah, his nickname was the Spider. He played in high school. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, yeah, he was he was a good player. Mm-hmm. And so I and I enjoyed. I just enjoyed spending time with my dad. You know, just those. As I look back on it now, and he's, he's 80, still with us. He's eighty two years old. Mm-hmm. I just I just. Uh, Went to visit him in North Carolina a couple of weeks ago, and so you know, that was the beginning of that basketball journey. And after I got cut in seventh and eighth grade, coach told me not to come back uh, my last year because he didn't have time to teach me how to play the game, and I was wasting his time. And so the only really outlet I had was my yard. And then I went back for ninth grade. I was six nine, and uh, that coach who cut me twice was gone. He left to take a job at another school. They hired a new coach. But I had to decide whether I was going to try out again, especially after what the first coach said. But I walked in there, walked in, and ended up making the team. I still wasn't very good. but uh, you, you, At least you can stand in the middle. and That's right. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I'm 6'9". You know, yeah, just six nine in high school. Just mm-hmm. put him on the team. That's right. Clog stuff up. That's all I needed. Yeah. Just I'll stand right there yeah. and put my hands up. Long arms and just yeah. Well, that's you know that's really where I think I started to understand what I had was that coach who kept me. He, I made the team that year. He brought me into his office, just him and I, and he said to me, "Son, if you want to be a great basketball player, if you really love this game." You have a lot of work to do. He emphasized a lot. And I was wondering why this man who didn't know me very well and knew I couldn't play decided to keep me. And he told me, he said, I see potential in you. He said, I see potential in you you don't even see in yourself. And if you're willing to make a commitment, I'll come in one hour before the team practices to work with you, me and you, one-on-one, and I'll stay one hour after. So I'm thinking, wow. He will give up his time because he sees something in me that I may not see in myself. And that was really the start of how I really grew a passion for this sport and went on to high school, played a year of JV, and my senior year was really when I came around and scholarship offers started to come. Uh, and uh, academically, uh, you, uh, I, I would suspect you did well also. I had to. You know, back in those days, parents could get away with a whole lot more with their kids. Um, yeah. We had whoopings. Are you back saying then. you? I was. Just <laughs> Let me tell you something. <laughs> you, you got the switch if you didn't do I well. I got the switch. I got the belt. We, you know, Mama didn't play. You listening to this? <laughs> I never. I don't think I ever once raised a hand to that kid right there. Nope. nope. Well, you must have been a good kid. He is. <laughs> but uh, I thought I was good too. But back then, <laughs> yeah. Listen, back then the neighbors had. You know, they had the green light to set you straight if they needed to. Oh, the neighbors could also spend Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it really took a village. Yeah. So um, my mom always said, I, I don't want to ever see a sea or below grade in this house. Mm-hmm. Because we, we understood that education was going to be the way for us. And you, you, I would assume you liked it, too, though. You, I did. You enjoyed I did learning enjoy and education. Yeah, I never brought it. She says, C's average. You're not average. Don't bring a C or below home here. And I never did. Uh, so... Yeah, man, it was uh, ended up going to. You can know. you can you tell people how hard it is 
to do the kind of work you did to end up being a really excellent basketball player? How hard was it? Do you remember how hard it was? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I remember uh, a lot of times questioning myself on whether I wanted to be like Dr. J because it was such hard work. And everybody kept telling me, all those people who came into my life that wanted to, that, that had a part in my progression, kept talking to me about how hard it is and how, you know, imagine all these other kids that want the same dream I have. And they're out there working right now and you're still in bed or you're messing around. So it was about dedication and hard work and, and you know, sacrifice and, you know, being being where I knew I should be instead of where everybody else was. Oh, you mean hanging out in the hanging right out. places in the right... Yep. Yeah. And Not so, hanging out in the bad places. Yep. Yeah. And it was hard. It was hard because, you know, a lot of your friends were didn't have the same uh, goals that you had, and they were just hanging out in the street at night, and you wanted to hang out too sometimes. Sure. But... Uh, you, you know, you say that 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 coach, uh, your junior high, that junior high coach, coach said, I yep. saw, saw something in you. Um, it's kind of a two part question. Did he see in you innate basketball ability, or did he see in you what people see in you today when they first meet you? Be- and I'm gonna and I'm gonna sound like I'm blowing smoke up your butt, but I'm not. <laughs> when I first met you, and I think you probably have been told this before, you have a, a personality that is, um, it, it's, it's just undeniable. You, you, people, you, you put people at ease very well. You, um, you have a warmth and a sincerity. Well, um, I'm I'm under the belief that that's how we all should be, you know. Yeah, but nobody'd say that about me. Oh, I'm sure they would. I'm sure they would. I'm sure I would. I, you know, I. That's the only way I know how to be, and I think a lot of that stems from, yeah, people that like that coach who grab we gravitated toward each other for some reason. Maybe basketball was the vehicle. Um, but he saw that. You know what I'm talking about. I People do. have said that to you before. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, you have a you have a sincerity and an openness that he saw that. But is there what? And then what part is innate basketball ability play in there? Or is there such? A I don't thing? know if there was an innate basketball. I don't no. know if there is. I don't think Steph Curry had an innate basketball ability. No. Uh, I think that's something once you decide, once you commit and decide what some of your goals are obviously one of mine was to be a great basketball player like the great dr j and that was my motivation now you know there's some things you can't teach listen i was six six seven you can't teach six seven can't teach that no you just no, have you, i had the tools yeah uh and so now big hand, you have you have very large hands yep grab the ball well and big feet that. yeah you know uh, good shot blocking instinctive ability mm-hmm. and that really was because when guys that were five two shot i just put my hand in the air and that was a block <laughs> shot right <laughs> but uh no i you know i i truly believe that's 
that's the norm for me. That that's how I feel we all should be. That's how I want my kids to be. That's how my parents wanted me to be. And it's not easy to be that way all the time. That well, I don't know how you would teach that in a way. I mean, I don't know how you would teach that kind of openness and sincerity and I don't know how you do that. Do you? You're a father. Yeah, Have you I mean, been able you, to do that? I think, you know, people teach selfishness. Yeah. I mean, why not be able to teach the opposite? Uh, and and I, say, I think even more than verbally teaching, it's example. You know, we, we know how kids are. Kids follow what they see. I mean, kid, if, if, if kids who are in a gang had nothing else to turn to, that's that's what they see yeah. and, and so uh, you know I think that's just who I am I I gravitate towards people that that uh, that have those same ideals and if they don't then I'm I'm okay with that because we can still sit across the table and agree to disagree mm-hmm. uh, and I think you know, sports has taught me a lot about how to treat people um, how to not make it be about me uh, as much as it is about what we can do together, mm. and, and so uh, that's that's who I was raised to be. So you go to North Carolina. They uh, lost. Oh, 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 oh! Gordon finished that statement. North Carolina State. There you go, my man. North Carolina State. That was close. Um, Wolfpack. <laughs> and um, uh, you got a lot of offers from around the country, I guess. Yes. Why did you take that one? Because uh, you're parents home hometown yeah you know it was an interesting process the recruiting back then much different than now because um, i must have been really good to have coaches hiding in the shower after the game (laughs) really yeah uh and and so it's a good feeling to, to be wanted and needed and so when you have to narrow you have to take you know hundreds of letters and narrow them down without really knowing a lot about the school. Mm-hmm. You know, places you probably don't want to go, uh, places you probably don't want to live, too cold, whatever. Um, but there was some familiarity there. You know, either I was probably going to stay close to my parents so they could come watch me play, or I was going to go somewhere where it wasn't too far for them to come watch me play and I can kind of grow up, could kind of grow up on my own, have a little bit of you know, freedom and grow and become a man. Did they have a good program at the time? They did. Actually, my first basketball camp, I won a raffle when I was in junior high school. I won a raffle, and the camp was at North Carolina State. And I I wasn't very good, but one of the things I remember was there was an assistant coach there named Eddie Biedenbach that kept tabs on me. There were a lot, lot better players there, but he kept tabs on my progress, sent me letters every now and then. And it was, you know, it was, it was smart on his part because I did get better and I did appreciate him staying in touch. So when it came down to it, that automatically, I believe, put NC State in the final running. Mm-hmm. Georgetown was there. The great John Thompson was the head coach. Oh, yeah. Uh, University of Maryland, left to Drizelle. So I, I narrowed it down to four schools, NC State, Maryland, Georgetown, and a school uh, outside of Charlotte called Davidson College. The only reason I did that was because 
Coach Eddie Biedenbach, who was at NC State, that kept tabs on me, took a head coaching job at Davidson. Mm. So uh, I ended up taking NC State because I, I felt like I could be a home away from home. My yeah. grandparents were down there, and I was familiar with North Carolina area. And NC State had a great academic and, and great basketball history under uh, Norm Sloan. And then, uh, so, and what you did? You start out majoring in uh, radio and television, and I did not. I started out majoring in political science, of all things. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wanted, I, I wanted to actually run for office, some office someday. Um, I liked the political process. I served as a congressional page. Oh yeah. Uh, under a congressman, Congressman Walter B. Jones from North Carolina, hmm. I was congressional page in the Capitol. For three years. The tallest congressional page ever. <laughs> ever, I'm sure. <laughs> so uh, that was a great experience for me, and it, it probably um, it was probably instrumental in me not wanting to go in the direction of, of being a politician. You don't, you've given up that? Uh... Yeah, because I got a chance to see, and not that it was all ugly. I mean, I, I got a chance to see uh, the State of the Union live with Jimmy Carter. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that was just a great experience, but I decided I wanted to go a different direction. Mm. So I majored in communications. So your career at um, North Carolina State, um, I, all I know is that you guys won the championship <laughs> in uh, 80, 83. 83. And uh, the NCAA championship, the whole the, that's a big deal. Yeah. Was... Um, was your whole career there as stellar as that, or did it all just kind of lead up to that? Or, Well, I almost didn't have a career at NC State because uh, Norm Sloan, who recruited me, you know, mm-hmm. knowing the coaches come in your house and they just want to talk to your mom. Yeah. Because, you know, you know, they get mom, they're going to get you. Mm. Right? <laughs> Norm Sloan's a nice guy. Why yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, so after my freshman year, after I finished one year, he – he left, took a job at another school. You know, you're a young college kid. You don't really understand the business of basketball. But he got a better offer at another school in Florida and took off. And so here's a, a few kids that just finished their freshman season, and now they don't know what to do. They don't know whether to follow him, you know, whether to go home. Is that an option? It was an option. Could have yep. gone with Norm Sloan. Could have gone with Norm Sloan. We could have left school I called my mom said mom I don't know what to do should I come home she said son I don't care where you go you're not coming home (laughs) that was my mom she said you can stay there and give this new coach a chance you haven't even met him yet give him a chance Uh, but you're going to get your education and so uh, I decided to stay wait for this some guy they hired didn't know who he was um but he introduced himself at, at this uh, meeting we had, and he walked in and says, Hey, um, Coach Jim Balvano. You guys can call me Coach V. You can call me Jimmy. So I know how you guys are feeling. I know you want to, some of you want to leave. You don't know what to do. But he starts talking about this dream of his where he knew he was going to win a national championship. This was my sophomore year. And he said, I know I'm going to win a national championship. And if I can get you guys to believe and see what I've been seeing and dream what I've been dream, dreaming, we can do it really soon. And Did he, he have much of a track record? When he must have been doing okay that he got hired at uh, Well, he North was charismatic. Um, and he won. He had been at Iona College, uh, 
right before that, there was a little controversy there with a, another player who who left and went pro. But you know, we didn't know his basketball style. We didn't really know him personally. But that first meeting, I think, kind of made us come out of our slouch mode and kind of sit up and listen to what he had to say because it sounded exciting. Wow, everybody wants to win a national championship. This guy seems pretty sure he can do it with a team. And so in the back of your mind, you're like, gosh, this sounds too good to miss out on. So all of us stayed, and uh, he said there wouldn't be a day that goes by that he wouldn't remind us of the ultimate goal. And the ultimate goal wasn't to just win the ACC championship or just beat the team down the road who mm-hmm. had Michael Jordan at the time and some other great players. Yeah. The ultimate goal was to win the national championship. So he wanted to make us understand that there's going to be a lot of stuff in between, but ultimately we want to win the national championship. And so he would just do crazy things. One of our first practices with him, he brought a ladder in and practices, set it under the rim, and he took out a pair of scissors and he said, guys, today we're going to practice cutting down the nets. Now who? <laughs> For that day. Yeah. Who yeah. in their right mind? practices cutting down the nets you know that's reserved for the celebration yeah. of winning a out he said yeah we're gonna he said yeah Thurl, come you come cut your piece out everybody will go up after you i'll go up last i'll cut the net down put it around my neck you guys will pick me up and carry me around this empty twelve thousand seat arena and scream and holler like champions and that's all we did for practice and we did it twice a month i'll be damned yeah that's what that's I said. Pretty remarkable. <laughs> I mean, that's when you think about it, though, it seems crazy, and it's really smart. Well, yeah. there's there's one fact that makes it crazy or smart, and it's that you won. You won a chance. If you hadn't right. won, it would that's just right. be insane. That's right. And yeah. you did it a couple of times a month. You hey, said, we, you know, we won it, and it was still insane. And but this is this was a man who was not afraid. And he told us, he said, guys, if you want to be the best, if you want to be champions, you've got to do things differently than everybody else is doing. You have, to, you have to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation, okay, So you, until it becomes comfortable. And I tell you, the first, second, and maybe third time we did that, it was some of the most uncomfortable. I mean, we had no reference. Yeah. About the fourth time, listen, we were climbing up on the basket, back of the basket, we were running up and down the stairs. We were throwing Coach V up in the air and catching them and screaming and hollering like we had just won the national championship. And uh, well, when, and then when you won it, you knew exactly what to do. We did. We did. It's like we had like, been there. Like clockwork. Yeah. And we looked at him like, okay, this is what you've been trying to teach us these three you, years. So you got to the championship in, in your senior year. Uh, how close did you come before that? Did you come close at all? or just? No, we, we were... Uh, I think my first year, yeah, my my first year as a freshman, we did not make it. My second year with uh, Coach Valvano, we went to the tournament, got knocked out the first rounds. And uh, my senior year, we had ten losses at the end of the regular season. We were sixteen and ten, I believe. That doesn't get you into the tournament. No, we had to win the ACC tournament. To get an automatic bid, yeah. And uh, at the time, University of Virginia had a guy named Ralph Sampson, <laughs> yeah, who was you know 
touted as a... Was he one of the Twin Towers? He was in Houston with Olajuwon. Yeah, Hakeem Olajuwon. Yeah. Or else. I'm not a huge sports guy, but I do remember some... You know your stuff, though. I know some yeah. of it, yeah. So we had to go up against him, and we had never, we had never beaten them in, in regular season. So we beat them, we beat a Wake Forest team, and then we have to go through a team with Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins, James Worthy, Brad Doherty, uh, and it was... All guys who went on to have oh my gosh, great careers. Yeah, and of course the legendary Dean Smith was the head coach. Mm-hmm. And we won that game, and that put us into the NCAA tournament as a sixth seed. Jeez. Yeah. So that's why they call it the miracle season. That's why. That whole, that yeah. whole. I just said it was called the miracle season. Now I know why. Yeah. So, and so, um, you know, we we got into the tournament, and at at any point in the tournament, listen, if we had lost the first game in the tournament, which was probably our toughest game against Pepperdine, double overtime. Hmm. Um, yeah, you know, we would have been excited that we'd accomplished some great things, but. We got to a point where we just knew something was up. You know, we were doing stuff that nobody else does. We were fouling 90% free throw shooters and making them. Mm. Coach V says, I don't think they can make them. We're on national TV. Okay, if he's shooting 90, this is, a, this is the big lights. Let's see if they can make We were, we were fouling 90% free throw shooters on purpose. That's where the hacker came about. Oh, I, oh. Yeah. And so uh, every game there was something. There was mm. something that that put us over the edge, and uh, we just kept going. And the more we won, the more our fans started to understand. People that didn't even know about basketball yeah. started to say, wow, this might be a team of destiny. So it's, uh, it's always great to look back. As a matter of fact, I brought you – I don't know if you saw the 30 for 30 – Oh, uh, no. I brought you a DVD today because I want you to watch it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I know about the thir- – tell people what the 30 for 30 is. Well, it's basically about our journey. Just yeah. that whole, yeah. that whole uh, ESPN, story you just told. Yeah, ESPN. Uh, ours was the first two-hour one that they did. Uh, and so ESPN probably plays it every other week. Mm. But uh, it's a journey. It starts actually with the death of the guy who put the shot in, Lorenzo Charles. Um, he had a bus accident a few years ago and passed away. And then it goes into the life of Jimmy V and his cancer that he passed away from he 10 years after we won it. Yeah, he uh, yeah he had a pretty short life all in he all, did. didn't he? Yeah, he was yeah. 35 years old. Yeah. Uh, and so so you get uh, you get into the NBA draft. And by the way, let me ask you something before we go there, just about uh, the NCAA tournament today. Uh, there were fewer teams. How many teams were in the tournament when you were uh, when you guys were in? Um, sixty-four. Oh, sixty-four. So it's is it the same? Yeah, today? It, the it same. is the same yeah. number. Okay. It just seems like it goes on forever anymore. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so you get you get uh, drafted by the Jazz. Yep. First round, seventh pick in the draft. Was there ever any thought in your mind, Utah? I don't. I don't really think I want to go to Utah. No. Oh, no. No. There was a thought in my mind, really, I'm going that high? <laughs> really? Yeah. Listen, we had just won a national championship, with which yeah. obviously took my stock up 
from wherever it was. And you and you had all kinds of scoring records, and I mean you, I mean people knew that this is this Thurl Bailey is the real deal. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure Thurl Bailey knew Thurl Bailey is the real deal. Well, um, that's what I was. I wanted to just ask you before we get really into NBA is at what point did you know? Like, at one point, you, did you say to yourself, I'm going to play in the NBA? High school? No. College? No. Still haven't decided that <laughs> now? <laughs> what? I think it was, um, even though I got drafted and I went high, I, I knew that didn't guarantee me. Listen, these were men. Yeah. I was 6'11", 198. You're, I saw some pictures of you earlier. You were really skinny. Oh, I was. Just like... Yeah. Is, is the first thing they said to you is, Thurl, you've got to put on some weight. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But once I got there, uh, once I came to Utah, and, you know, it, it takes a while. You're a rookie. I don't care who you are. You, know, you, you may have the confidence and stuff, but you still have to go through that initiation. Yeah. Sure. You know, you have sure. to pay your dues. Um, but there, uh, there have been some, uh, and I can't think of the specific cases. But I know in the in the past there have been some people uh, drafted by the Jazz mm-hmm. uh, and black basketball players who have said, I'm, "I don't want to go play in Utah." Oh yeah. I, yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a all lily white, no urban to it state. I don't want to have anything to do with it, and they they won't do it. Or yeah, they, I think they Dominique Wilkins was one of those. Uh, yeah, that's the one because the Jazz drafted him. Yeah, and he didn't want to come here. No, I don't want it. Yeah, so uh, they traded him and got. I think it was John Drew and Bebe Duran. But no, that wasn't ever. It never occurred to you. No, because man, I was just excited to. This was an NBA team. And so, and that was Frank Layden coaching at the Frank time. Frank Layden was the head coach, and so uh, what a great guy he seems to oh, be. Are you kidding me? Is he? Is he? They, is, they don't come any he, better. I've met him a couple of times, but he just seems to be a great oh, guy. He's an amazing guy, amazing guy, and still, you know, he still does a lot of motivational speaking. And mm-hmm. uh, but I love Frank. Love mm-hmm. Frank and Barbara, and they. Frank was the kind of coach when I got here that uh, one he was a really good coach but two he just made you feel important and like basketball wasn't shouldn't be the most important thing in your life yeah it's your job you got to do it well but your family you know laugh a little don't take it too serious I mean it was uh, it was I had a great great Mm -hmm. rookie season but to answer your question when did I know one of my first games we're in the Salt Palace playing against the Philadelphia 76ers. Frank puts me in the game. When I got in the game, I got a tap on my shoulder. I turned around. A hand reached out. Congratulations on a great college season. Welcome to the NBA, Thurl. It was Dr. J. It was Dr. J, baby. And so I think I knew then that here's a guy who really got me going. This is a guy who I idolized, and he gave me the passion to want to. Now I had to go out and guard him because you know everybody wants to make their mark, right? But uh, that was probably when I knew I belonged. How was uh, Julius Irvin playing at that time? Is he still playing oh, pretty yeah, good? He was in his prime. He yeah. was still great. I think huh? he had forty-seven on me that night. <laughs> uh, must have been. Must have been just a. 
I mean, you tried hard and tried to guard him. He, had, yeah, he has I'm 47 like, points. Look, this, I, I he know. was pretty unstoppable he when was. he wanted to be. He was. I said, there's no way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him get 50 on me tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was, you know, I think that's one of the first times I ever started paying much attention to basketball, too, really. Although I remember as a, uh, when I was really young reading about Lou Alcindor. Mm-hmm. And thinking, what an interesting story that is. And seeing pictures of this young, tall, really skinny yeah. kid. And well, I think he played his bo- high school ball in Los An- or in California, didn't he? Yeah, I, yeah, I think he did. Yeah. And anyway, and then he becomes the, this huge star, yeah. and it was just a great. Uh, you know who Lou Alcindor is? No. Yes, you do. Okay. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, yep. Okay. See? Yep. Yeah. See. Got it. <laughs> yeah, and and became just you know, so it must have just been. Uh, but I remember Doctor J. Uh, I saying, who is this guy? And then watching it, and I remember there were people. Uh, didn't they? They had ballet dancers mm-hmm. talking about Doctor J yeah. and saying, and "In fact, Doctor J took ballet lessons." Yeah, and they're saying, "Oh, the moves he does are uh, these beautiful balletic." Yeah, yeah, and it was. You watch him. You go back and just look at some old film of Doctor J and. And he was like a just a he was a ballet dancer. He was poetry in motion. Yeah, the guy was, and, and he's a great man. I, I I've gotten to know him very well uh, through the NBA Retired Players Association, mm-hmm. and so uh, and I actually had a quiet. chance. To, These you don't hear much out of. Don't him. Don't hear a lot out of him. He does. Uh, you know, come basketball season, you'll see him pop up as a commentator every now and then. But he's in, living in Atlanta. He used to have a place. Uh, used to live in St. George. For a long time. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Married a girl, and uh, and then they moved to Atlanta. So you come here, you have your basketball career. Went it went well with the Jazz. Great with the Jazz. So great they traded me after eight years. I was gonna. Now that's what I was gonna ask you about. No, but it was great though. Uh, yeah, but so then they get this new coach. Is that why you got traded? No, 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 no. no it wasn't. No. It, you know, we talked about the business of basketball. I had some great years, Frank Layden. And Frank, after uh, his second year, he turned the helm over to his assistant, Jerry Sloan. Oh, and you, you played under Coach Sloan? Oh, for, yeah, 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 for many years. Uh, and and uh, so why did they trade you, and how did you feel about that? Well, at first I didn't really understand it. I mean, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to play all my whole career here. You know, this is my community, and I didn't really understand the business of basketball and trades and free agency and all that stuff. Until then, um, the Jazz were looking to get... I was a small forward at 6'11", and the league was changing somewhat. And um, Style of play, is that what you mean? Style of play. And so when trades are made, trades aren't, aren't always bad, especially even for players. Yeah. Um, a trade is made because that player is worth something at the time. And, you know, you may not be able to get the same form later. They saw a player they wanted in Minnesota, Tyrone Corbin, <laughs> who became a head coach yeah. here. And so uh, they made the trade, Tyrone for me and Cash, and maybe a draft pick or something. I think it was. That's what I read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the bad part about that was the business of basketball doesn't really prepare you. you know, I didn't. You, you find out that day after practice that you were traded. I just left the jazz practice and uh, actually turned the radio on. And I, I know the jazz didn't mean for this to happen, but it must have leaked out. Mm-hmm. 
turned the radio on, and back then, uh, I think it was Fisher and Todd. I, I was listening to their show, and and I heard my name. Did you hear about the trade? What trade? Thurl Bailey traded the Minnesota for Tyrone Corbin. I'm driving in my car on my way home from practice. So by the time I pulled in my driveway, I heard my phone ringing from the garage. And it was Scotty Layden mm-hmm. saying, Thurl, I just wanted to call you and let you know you've been traded and you need to be there tomorrow in Minnesota. And so I, I learned really quickly what that meant. Yeah, And you, you had married uh, your, mm-hmm. uh, Cindy as your wife? Yep. You'd already, so you, you were married, you had... And she's from here. You had fa- you already had kids. I already had kids. And he yeah. and and he says, "Sorry, you're going to Minnesota tomorrow." Yeah. I mean, that just uproots your whole family. It's just it does. crazy. That's the nature of the business. It's crazy. It's really crazy. So you moved. You and Cindy and the kid mm-hmm. moved to yep. Minnesota. Moved you to Minnesota. Had three or three or so years there. Yeah, three years in Minnesota, which were great years. Mm-hmm. The only bad part is you, we did, we never won a lot of games. Mm-hmm. You play 82 games and you only win 15 to 20. That could be a very miserable year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had some young players. Christian Leitner was uh, mm-hmm. was drafted. Um, so it wasn't a great experience as far as learning goes, uh, as far as basketball goes, but it was as far as learning my love for the game. I still love the game. Yeah, um, I still wanted to continue to play. Um, I didn't leave. I didn't burn any bridges here. I mean, I, Larry H. Miller and, and his family were awesome to me. Mm-hmm. Even though I was disappointed about the trade, uh, I was grateful mm-hmm. to have the opportunity to play here. Uh, and I'd seen other guys who had been traded or cut, and they just would go and say things that they pour gasoline on the bridge and light yeah. it. Yeah. And I never wanted to do that uh, because I loved it here. And maybe would be back one day. So I played three years in Minnesota, and I went over to Europe. Take your family with you to Europe? Mm-hmm. That must have been, you know... In, uh, it was uh, awesome. Would have been, must have been nice for your wife, yeah. in a way. She's, uh, as I... And I know nothing about her other than just reading a little tiny bit. Small-town girl from Utah. Yep. Had, probably hadn't been out much. No, raised on a farm. Yep. Uh, you know, she could handle a horse and a steer. <laughs> Probably better than a lot of guys. Uh, I I think I read that you're not very good on a horse. I got better. Once I found a horse tall enough. My my feet got tired of dragging on the ground. (laughs) You got to find a big horse. That's right. So then you you end up coming back uh, and finishing your career with like one season at the the Jazz. It was was the most awesome thing Uh, after my career ended in... After I ended my career in Europe, I decided I wanted to play one more year, and I called the Jazz to see if I could I could earn a spot. Mm-hmm. And I came to training camp, earned a spot on the team, and got to play with, got to be reunited with Carl and John again, and got to play with Jeff Hornacek. I mean, just just a great way. I remember the first regular season game, I came out of the tunnel and got a standing ovation from the crowd, and I knew that that's how I wanted to leave. I knew that was going to be my last year, and so it was. Uh, it was great, and I and I ended up back here. This is my home in in Utah now, and my community. Um, what is, what's your involvement uh, with basketball now? Uh, well, once my career ended in two thousand, I just really uh, transitioned into broadcasting. There was a sideline reporter mm-hmm. spot available, 
and so Randy Rigby, who was over uh, broadcasting for the at the time, hired me to be a sideline reporter. And then after a few years, I moved up to the desk and replaced Frank Layden. Mm-hmm. Got to work with Mark Eaton for a while, and uh, and I've been there ever since. Yeah, and that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah, it is really good, and mm-hmm. and uh, it's a great job because we call pretty much every game from the arena, even when they're on the road. I don't have to travel with the team. Oh, I didn't know that. So I get to be a dad mm-hmm. at the same time and not feel like I'm a player again being gone for weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, in the off season, I get to do other things like being the chairman of the NBA Retired Players Association and being a, a motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. My wife manages my schedule, so I don't, I don't miss a whole lot of important things. Let's talk about um, uh, you converted to the mormon church mm-hmm. i did uh baptist kid mm-hmm. um talk about some of the ramifications of that and why you know i mean you did it i'm sure you have very deep personal reasons for why do. you did it yeah and i don't i don't know if there are any ramifications on my part really i think they were all awesome uh the the crazy thing that people when they find out especially if they're LDS is that I, I was baptized in Italy. Oh, well, you were playing over there. Yep, mm-hmm. while I was playing. And so uh, the short story is that you know, I knew a lot about the church being here in Salt Lake City. I talked to a lot of missionaries. Matter of fact, most of my friends uh, were Mormons. And so, you know, I had taken the time to as curiosity does, you you know you want to know about the culture and the people and, uh, and what they believe in. Um, I knew how I was raised, raised in a Baptist church. I, as a kid, I always felt that as I grew up, that there was something more. There was something something more to it. Were you kind of a religious person anyway? Yeah, yeah, I was. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved going to church. Loved going and listening to the preacher. Preached the sermon that day. Loved listening to the choir. I, mean, I still love those things. Um, but personally, you know, I just felt this journey of, of, of discovery. And so, uh, you know, I went out to actually. I, I married uh, my wife, who was raised in the LDS Church. And uh, there's a whole nother story there about uh, unconditional love and having the door slammed in your face by her parents and uh, and they're good people don't get me wrong that was just a, a total journey of this part of that discovery was understanding why people felt a certain way about you and they could raise this wonderful daughter mm-hmm. and so uh, just just a whole journey of discovery and and i i read the book of mormon several times went over to italy and discovered that there was a few more reasons for me being over there than just playing basketball and, and I was baptized there in, in 1995 and uh, and my father-in-law was the one that baptized me and my mother-in-law came over and so there was a lot of healing going on but it was uh, that's another great story I mean it's, it is, it's remarkable that uh and uh, if if people don't know or haven't figured out by your conversation, your wife is white. Yes. Um, and uh, it was hard for her family to accept 
yeah, you. It was. Just based on? Yes, it pride, was. Just pure. It, has to, <laughs> it, it was, has to be just pure. That's the very definition of prejudice. Because anybody talking to you would say, well, this is a nice guy. Well, yeah. <laughs> this is a prejudice mixed with ignorance, I think. Yeah. You know, and all of us at some form or way, some way, shape, or form with something, we're ignorant about it sure. until we get to understand it. Okay, we get to learn about it. We get to, to say, oh, okay, I understand now. Um, but I, I, I hadn't walked in their shoes. Listen, if I were in their shoes, I'm thinking this is my daughter. Mm-hmm. And maybe mine wouldn't be based on race. But I know that I would be protective of someone that I love, and I would want the best for them. And if, if, if how I was raised, be it in a bubble or be it otherwise, had an effect on what I thought about it, because they didn't know a lot about me. They didn't know a lot about black people. No. And heck, I, mean, I was to the point... Well, I was saying, wow, don't, aren't they jazz fans? <laughs> I'm thinking that that might give me a, you know, yeah. at least give, give me, me an in the door. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a famous basketball player. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in my mind. Yeah. I, didn't, I never used that, but yeah. it crossed my mind. Sure. But, uh, you know, it all ended well. Yeah. I mean, you're, we should say you're on great terms with oh, them. Oh, yeah. I yeah. love them. I love them. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I joke and I say, oh, I can't get rid of them now. <laughs> but uh, no, they're great people, and uh, and I knew they were. You know, I, for some, I knew this person that I was marrying got their great qualities from somewhere, you know. And so that was uh, that was a huge for me. It was uh, it's something that 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 I loved. You know, loved about them is the fact that they finally got to this point where they understood what unconditional love meant and it helped me understand what true forgiveness was because there was three years that they didn't they didn't speak to their daughter really because, that because long? of it oh yeah after you were married yes oh man yeah so a lot of healing Grand, uh, grandkids probably help yes <laughs> yes they do help but uh yeah, I don't have that DVD for you, but maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you're also um, um, pretty conservative politically, I think, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I don't like to talk politics because I think a lot of times that's a personal thing. I have my opinions. Um, I, I, I look at a person, I look at a candidate, and I don't judge them by... Um, whether they're Democrat or Republic or whatever, you know, I'm looking for a connection. Do you and I connect? Do I think that you have the ability, you have what it takes to run this country and all that comes with it? Um, do I know you're human? Yeah, of course you are. You're going to make mistakes. They can't be, you know, the kind of mistakes that are going to put my liberties and everybody else's liberties in jeopardy and and make us the laughing stock of the world. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to get out and vote. Um, I know my vote means something, and, and I think everyone should. I mean, I know you gave uh, an opening prayer at the uh, Republican I did. I wasn't convention. even about to miss that. Yeah, I don't well, care which party it was yeah. that called me. <laughs> yeah, Democrats called. Yeah, I'll give you a uh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing the Republican. I'll come do yours next. Yeah. Um, well, that was a great honor for me, you know, mm-hmm. and... Um, 
and I'm not really sure how it came about. I just got a phone call to uh, to see if I would be willing to do it. I'll bet your fellow musician Orrin Hatch had something to do with it. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. You and Orrin yeah. ever do any uh, music together? We've been talking about it you, for years. You guys ought to collaborate. Yeah, we've been talking about it for years. Well, he he's just an amazing man, and he he's the one that after 33 years, I wrote the president a letter. Because back uh, when we won the national championship, we didn't get a chance to go to the White House to visit, to see Ronald Reagan. Oh, I remember. We did a live satellite yeah. broadcast. Mm-hmm. The school wouldn't pay for it, and then it was illegal for anybody to sponsor it. Mm-hmm. It was an NCAA violation. So 33 years later, I write this letter to Obama, and then I think, okay, what if I called Senator Hatch to see if he would write a letter in support of mine? Mm-hmm. And he did, and he walked it right into the office. To the to write to the tell president. the president I'm here to see him. Yeah, and, and Orrin so, Hatch has that kind of power. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, uh, is it March of this year? Got a call from the White House saying the president would love if you could put it together. The president would love to have your championship team come visit. Oh man, that was, that was awesome. And it was Senator Hatch who really mm-hmm. put that extra. In there to, to make sure it was it like meeting pr- the president oh, was, of the United it States. Was awesome. yeah. It was so awesome, and I think one reason is because one, he's a good man. He's a really good man, mm-hmm. and you know when people are good people sure. and people are just pretending to be. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, he wasn't in a hurry, and he came in and he talked to us. He knew about the the championship run and doesn't hurt that he loves basketball does not hurt and i was hoping to appeal to that when i wrote mm-hmm. the letter and, and then he said uh he talked he thanked orrin hatch and he said you know orrin orrin and i don't agree on everything <laughs> <He's>, uh, <laughs> most everything yeah he said he said but uh you know he he really wanted to, to get this done and uh, Vice President Joe Biden was also there. It was just a nice time. They met our wives and better halves. And mm-hmm. I, had a, I have a son who's serving a mission in Washington, D.C., and got a chance to go in the White House and meet the president wow. and vice president also. Pretty nice. Yeah. You know, and it's really pretty. Uh, what you said resonates with me a lot about you know when a person's a good person. or uh, I, um, I'm about as liberal as you could possibly be. I'm just, a, you know. But... And, and some of my friends and colleagues don't understand it when I say, no, Gary Herbert, I don't agree with a, almost anything the guy does. But, you know, he's really a sweet guy, and he's a very nice man yes. and about as sincere as you could possibly be. Yeah. No, I agree. You know, and I, uh, so, I mean, I don't, I, his policies, I'm, I don't care for. <laughs> but, but when I, I have a warm spot for That's him. That's the because, beauty of You know, it, though, a warm right? feeling for him. Yeah. 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 And Orrin Hatch is the first political person I ever interviewed in my career years ago when he was just elected. Mm. He had just been elected to the Senate. That's how long ago I wow. interviewed him. And uh, You were just in high school, weren't you? <laughs> God, I wish. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember coming, and again, I, was, I, was, I think I was less liberal than I am now. Uh, when you get older, you're supposed to get more conservative. Yeah. <laughs> I've just gotten more and more liberal. <laughs> Which I don't know why, but I have. But uh, I was fairly liberal then. But I and I remember. But I remember meeting Warren Hatch and interviewing him, and just being a straight kind of newsman, yeah, kind of thing. And I remember going away from that meeting, though that interview, saying, "I, I understand why this guy is a senator. 
there is some undeniable, I mean, he'd look right in your eye and shake your hand and... And he, uh, there's just some kind of power there that yeah. uh, that uh, presence of some kind. Yeah, I don't know, and I, I assume he's still that way all these many years. But you hope so. Many because, years. And I think one of the reasons that I kind of changed my directions. Were you more liberal? Probably a little more, but I, I I think I saw what happened to some folks once they got on that political scene because. Yeah, you can be a great person, but sometimes it's just, it's not about just being a great person. It's not about some of the things that you want. I mean, there are certain things that that you, you're not able to avoid as a politician. And so I, I saw how it changed some folks, you know, and, and they were still great people. But, you know, if it's not the popular vote... It's not, yeah. you know, you've got to make some deals in Washington to get mm-hmm. some of the things you want. You've got to give up some things. Mm-hmm. And so uh, yeah, I know. sometimes you have to, yeah. You have to compromise you your values you do. sometimes. You do sometimes. Yeah, whole, you know, I've talked to politicians about that, and I say, how can you, how can you stand to do that? Yeah. And they'll say, if I want to get some of the things that I need That's to get right. done, I have to agree. Yeah. Uh, and now Thurl Bailey, the uh, you know so what a you know so broadcaster, athlete, uh, and uh, uh, entertainer. Um, uh, you 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 say you have three or four albums out or five five albums, yeah. uh, uh, and um, and uh, you motivational speaker. But you do charity work. You have your own foundation, right? I do. Yeah, yeah I started that. the Big TLC Foundation years ago. And I didn't really have a specific uh, cause at the time because I was doing a lot of good stuff with with other foundations than the community. I knew one day that you know at some point I would want to kind of focus in on what I wanted to do as my career started to wind down a little bit, um, and I and I started to kind of figure out what I wanted to champion. There's so many great causes out there. There's so many great people doing great things i'm working for you know a family who is known in this community the miller family uh gail has just done a great job of carrying on uh larry's legacy she's really stepped up she too is. in community oh work no too. no quite and she's always been there Especially. and maybe when larry was alive it was more in the background but she was a driving force mm-hmm. um but now you know she's had to step up and kind of come out of that uh, come into the limelight, but um, I'm not sure there's a better community to be in. As far as when you talk about volunteerism, uh, this is Utah is one of the at the forefront of that. Uh, but there's a lot of things that that are out there that are great causes. But the Big TLC Foundation really focuses on underserved kids mm-hmm. and their families. Um, the governor appointed me. Governor Herbert appointed me a few years ago. The the ambassador of the refugee community here. Uh, there's 60,000 plus refugees in, in this state. Mm-hmm. A lot of them concentrated around the Salt Lake area, uh, and they need help. And, and a lot of people in this state, until recently, didn't really know we had that many refugees. Didn't even know what a refugee was. So, yeah. so uh, it's been it's been great to be a part of that, and and hopefully make that situation better. Uh, if people are 
interested uh, in being a part of some of the charity work that you do, what's the best way to? Well, the best way is uh, to just just contact me. You know, uh, I'm I'm not one of these people that say call my people. You know, you email me at thorough forty one at gmail dot com. You can go on my website uh, thoroughbailey.com and communicate with me there. But uh, yeah, I just. Uh, you know how it is, man. You, you you understand the journey you've been on in your life and the platform that you have when you're out there. You can use it for good. You can use it for bad. And the platform I have is the fact that I've been able to do some great things in my life. I've been able to enjoy a great career as a basketball player. I've been able to get a great education uh, and use that. I've been able to learn how to communicate with people in a world of, you know, where our our, our, our cell phone now is is part of us. <laughs> yeah, and we're we're kind of losing some of that. Mm-hmm. You know, that eye to eye, you and me sitting at the breakfast table, talking. Yeah, you know, and looking each other in the eye, and and so uh, it's you know, part of the reason I do this this show because I'll meet people like you and we'll chat for five or ten minutes and I never really get a chance to sit down and, yeah. and, and really talk so I say oh I know I'll do an interview show I don't care if anybody there listens to it I just, <laughs> I just get to t- now I just get to sit down and talk to uh, Thurl Bailey for awesome. an hour well, and we awesome. decided you, you're really good at two things and one was talking and the other was eating yeah, so. and so we put them together and that's how the show came about <laughs> that's awesome and one more question for you and again it's uh, thurlbailey.com uh-huh. and uh, your, your uh, email address is just thurl41 that was my I, jersey number. Yeah, I was going to say, I assume that's your number. Yeah. Was that your number throughout your career? Not in high school. It no. was 45 in high school because somebody else wouldn't give up 41. So I, uh, when I got to, well, no, maybe it was, oh, it was 45 in high school. And when I came to the NBA, somebody wouldn't give up 45. So oh, I, I, see. I picked 41. Yeah. Uh, Thurl. What, what, what kind of a name? <laughs> What kind what of a, a name, name is, is Thurl? <laughs> and do we, is it a is it a nickname? Do you have oh. a middle name? Lee. Th- oh, so you, put I, them, you put them I both saw together. that on your website. Yeah, thoroughly. Is, and was that your mother's? No, I don't no. think so. <laughs> My dad's brother. <laughs> <laughs> thoroughly. Coincidence. That's right. I saw on your uh, your signature on your website is Thurl yeah. Lee Bailey. Yeah. So um, my dad's one of his younger brothers was named Thurl. I'm not sure where, where that came his from. mom got it from. Uh, most of them were from, uh, most of my dad's siblings' names plus his were from movies that his parents liked. <laughs> my, my, uh, my dad's name's Carl, Carl Denham Bailey. And his parents loved King Kong. Oh, do you remember Carl? Sure, Carl the, Denham. Yeah, the yeah. The, the impresario. That's the, right. you know, Kong, so, the eighth wonder of the world. Hey, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So my dad was named after that guy. So I don't know what Thurl came from. Um, I do know that uh, there's a Thurl Ravenscroft. Don't you know him? Oh yeah, he's uh, the voice of Tony the Tiger. You're great. Yeah, and you're, you're a mean, mean one, Mister Grinch. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm thinking that that's probably Thurl, yeah. where it came from. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, oh, you know, I mean, there's a whole other thing. I, we don't have time to get into it now. But I, you sort of said something that made me think about genealogy work. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, becoming a member of the Mormon Church, you've had the opportunity, really, I mean, I guess it's even a mandate being yeah. a Mormon. Nobody does genealogy like the Mormons. Yeah. That's right. And so you must, have you really... A little more st- difficult for me, though. Yeah. I mean, you've started to really dig into that. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of pioneers. Yeah. <laughs> didn't have any, actually. How, how far um, have you been able to look at it? I've gone back as far as really interesting because I'm I, I just you know you get to a, a point in genealogy where it's it gets to be a lot of fun because you start to find stuff and then when you don't find stuff it's like uh, you know I'm going to put this away for a while mm-hmm. and then you pick it back up and you discover something new. I was visiting my dad and he takes me back to this little drawer of his. He says, "Son, go go over there and pull that drawer open and bring those pictures over here." So I go get this stack of pictures, and I'm going through these pictures, and I, I don't know who some of these people are. So my dad still has the wherewithal to, uh, to be able to remember a lot, mm-hmm. uh, which is another great thing. You, we, you need to interview your parents. Yeah. You know, there, I found a list of questions. You can, you can Google it and, and go interview them and get you know, all the stories and ask them these specific questions. So I have all that. But um, he had a picture of my mom's great great grandmother. Well, my mom's great great yeah. She was a, a house slave, and I didn't know we had that picture. And so uh, my dad started because my mom passed away last year, and so um, so that got me really excited again. So I've been able to go back as far as that part of of. Uh, tapping into slavery mm-hmm. that was the first relative i was able to really pinpoint and get the information about who was a slave mm-hmm. um i i also have to say uh, ancestry.com came to me six seven years ago and they were just coming out with these dna kits oh, so right. they wanted a high profile person mm-hmm. and they wanted to go back and find things for them and mm-hmm find out where their heritage is from and and they did all that for me it was a very emotional presentation actually mm-hmm. they went back and and then uh if any other relatives have taken the dna test which they have since then it, it shows you a, a pretty good match 90 something percent match that this person is related to you so um yeah, i've been able to go back pretty well i still have a lot of work to do there's a i i guess because there are no because this there was no record M- or right. much records with slavery, right. except bills of sale yep. and crap like that, mm-hmm. w- which are helpful. But yeah. but you have to then try to reconstruct it from some sort of oral history a little bit too. And yeah, that's and, and, tough. And ancestry did a lot of that because yeah. they went back to to uh, they, they had a map in the presentation that said where a lot of the slave ships were coming in from, and the ports that they go to. So there was a port in North Carolina that. Most likely, um, a lot of my ancestors were on. A lot of those ships, you know, didn't make it over. Yeah. So a lot of those, if they did have records, they were sunk with the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were a lot of uh, slave uh, plantation owners and slave owners that, the masters that would keep a lot of record. Um, and then at a certain point, you know, um, what is it when they take the the national record where they come around and say, census the, yeah the, the mm-hmm. census you can go back and look at all the census and mm-hmm. see that you know my great great grandfather lived in this particular house with three of his brothers and 
So those kind of things I, I try to piece together, and it's not very easy, but you know, when I do find something, it's it's a good, it's a great feeling. Yeah, that's a, I, that's another fascinating aspect of um, the Thurl Bailey story. Uh, have you ever, you've never written a book, have you? No, I'm kind of working on it. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to figure out exactly do I want it to be my life story, or do I want to write something that will hopefully inspire people from a certain chapter in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I may get it done in the next couple of years. Oh, you got plenty to do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> hey, um, it, really a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for having uh, me. Nice to nice to talk to you. I uh, will uh, post this. Um, wh- you know, the person that we talked to last time on the show was a good friend of yours, I think, Pamela uh, Atkinson. Atkinson. Yeah. yeah, I love her. Yeah, I love her, man. Yeah, she's she's great too. Um, so anyway, Thurl Bailey, thanks for being with us. Well, um, I want to thank uh, Dylan for producing the show. Uh, can I yeah? say one more thing? Yo, of course this, you can. I, I really I really love this when I see uh, a father and son that not just doing stuff together but have a, a relationship I and mean, a lot of that's missing that's one of the things that I try to advocate I call it an arena man you're an arena man and, and arena men to me you remember the speech by Theodore Roosevelt man in the arena I don't know um, the speech it's not, part of it goes like it's not the critic that counts uh, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or how the doer of deeds could have done them better the credit belongs to, to the man who's actually in the arena and it talks about who fights the good fight. But it's about the man who shows up. And I know in my lifetime, there were a lot of dads missing from homes. You know, they just, for whatever reason. Um, but Arena Man advocates for fathers to, to step up, you know, to be there for their kids. And they, listen, I wasn't, I have some, my older kids, I wasn't always there for them because of the, the occupation I chose. But um, they know that as a father, I'm, I'm there for them in their life and, and, and things that they need. And, and so I, I love when I sit here and see you and D- Dylan working together. It, it, it means a lot. It means a lot. And, and so I wanted to thank you for just both of you for having me on. And, and uh, I just appreciate the time. It's our pleasure, believe me. Uh, thanks to the staff here at 50 West. And uh, that's it for this episode of the Let's Go Eat Show. Uh, I'm Bill Allred. Remember, when you're pouring drinks, always make mine a double. (laughs) 